Welcome to Beyond Speaking with Brian Lord, a podcast featuring deeper conversations with the world's top speakers. Hi, I'm Brian Lord, your host of the Beyond Speaking podcast. Our guest today is Colonel Greg Gadsden. Gadsden's 26 year service in the Army culminated as the garrison commander at Fort Belvoir, but he served in numerous tours from Bosnia to Afghanistan to Iraq. In 2007, Colonel Gadsden lost both legs above the knee and normal use of his right arm and hand after an IED attack. Colonel Gadsden, thanks for joining us. Well, Brian, thank you for having me here. Hey, well, it's it's my pleasure, definitely, definitely. So, uh, so Colonel, um, uh, take us, so your story, I mean, obviously you had a long story before this, but take us back to that, uh, to that day in May in Iraq um, with, uh, and just, just walk us through your story. Sure. Thank you, Brian. Well, a little more than uh, 14 years ago, I mean, this is July, so just uh, May of uh, 2007, um, you know, is a, is a significant day for me. I, um, I, we were, uh, my battalion and, and the brigade I was part of um, deployed to Iraq as part of this, uh, the surge that President George Bush uh, directed in, in early 2007. Uh, we were we were the second of ultimately five brigades that were deployed to Iraq to, to again, get the violence under control. So as you can imagine, um, the violence was very significant. Um, in those early months of 2007, I can, I can truly recall that almost every single day, a U.S. service member uh, would pay with their lives. And it was just, that was the nature of the, the environment at that time. Um, ironically, on, on May 7th, um, I was returning from a memorial service for two young, two young men um, in a sister battalion in my brigade, uh, First Lieutenant Ryan Jones and Specialist uh, Sunson, who had been killed uh, uh, three days earlier. Um, we were able to, um, to honor their sacrifice with a, with a small memorial service, which, again, which I attended. Um, after, the, after the ceremony, um, uh, the service, um, I would I would head back to my headquarters in a four vehicle patrol. Um, I was the, I was the third of four vehicles uh, when um, when a command detonated um, uh, improvised explosive device struck my vehicle. Um, the blast, you know, lifted my fifteen thousand pound armored vehicle off the road, and it ejected me um, out of the vehicle um, where I can. Uh, you know, recall flying through the air before I hit the ground and I, you know, I came to a rolling stop on my back. Um, I, I knew what had happened uh, in terms of the blast. Um, and I, and I knew it was uh, serious because I just couldn't move. I was just laying there. I, I didn't know what was wrong with me. I just knew that it was bad. I couldn't get up. And, um, you know, the last thing I remember thinking or saying kind of out loud was, God, I don't want to die here. And uh, and then I lost consciousness. Um, but I was fortunate, uh, fortunate that uh, my teammates, um, um, men and women in this very formation that you see pictured behind me, men like First Sergeant Frederick Johnson, who was, uh, he was in the fourth vehicle following me uh, and the senior non-commissioned officer in my patrol. Um, he would be the first to arrive at my vehicle when it finally came to a stop. And he was the one that actually identified that I was missing. And uh, he would locate me, me, locate me about 100 meters or so from where my vehicle stopped. 
I was already uh, unconscious and, um, you know, lying in a pool of my own blood um, when he began to resuscitate me. And a young, um, a young private um, uh, named Eric Brown um, would put the tourniquets on my legs, a fact that the doctors uh, give him credit for saving my life. And as you know, what I, what I consider, um, you know, extremely, uh, an extremely big blessing from uh, about this young man was that um, he wasn't a medic, or at least he wasn't a, a, a military occupational specialty trained medic, you know, as his, as his uh, primary skill um, in the army. He was actually um, a chemical specialist responsible for, for uh, maintaining and taking care of our nuclear, biological, and chemical detection equipment. And uh, as fate would have it, um, the medic that was assigned in my personal security detachment would slip on some ice at, at, back at Fort Riley before we deployed. And when we asked for a replacement medic, the Army didn't have one to provide. And, um, and my headquarters uh, first sergeant uh, suggested sending this young man, Private Brown, to a two-week emergency medical course at Kansas State University. It, uh, this young man would finish uh, this course just days before we're going to deploy. And my chain of command came back to me with the suggestion of putting this young man in one of my subordinate platoons and bringing up a medic for my personal security detachment. Um, well, on the basis of not wanting to disrupt the teamwork, I, I said no, but I think more personally, um, I felt that if this young man was good enough for my soldiers, then he was good enough for me. So I, 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 I kept him as my medic. And, and again, to reiterate, the doctors give this young man credit for saving my life. Um, look, at this point, I'm just the passenger. There's nothing that uh, Greg Gadsden has done, done as heroic. But just to kind of give you a perspective, again, of, of our environment and my injuries, um, in, those, in those first four to six hours after I was wounded, I would go through 129 pints of blood or units of blood. The average human holds uh, six to eight units. I would go into uh, rest or die uh, six times. And... Um, and again, in the month of May of 2007, again, to give you a sense of the environment, 131 U.S. service members uh, paid in full measure were killed in, in combat, and more than 10 times that were severely wounded. So it was, it was an extremely, extremely violent time period. Um, I would get evacuated um, uh, the next, begin my evacuation the next day, um, arriving at uh, Walter Reed Army Medical Center um, on, on the 11th of May, uh, just four days after being wounded. I was, however, uh, intubated on a feeding tube in an induced coma requiring surgery every other day to uh, repair my blood vessels and, uh, and clean out my wounds. Um, just a week after arriving at Walter Reed um, on the 18th of May, the um, the blood vessels in my left leg could no longer sustain blood flow. Um, and while I was in the intensive care, um, I started to bleed to death. Um, the nurse would pull off her belt, put a fuel expedient tourniquet on my leg. Uh, they took me into um, the, uh, they took me into surgery and amputated um, my left leg above the knee to save my life. Mm -hmm. 
Well, the next day, the same thing would happen to my right leg, but they were one step ahead and actually pulled a vein from my left bicep to uh, to save my right leg. Now, by this time, um, I was I was I was conscious and able to communicate with the doctors. Um, ultimately, I would make the decision um, um, that my quality of life um, would be better uh, without my right leg. And, and, and quite frankly, I was just tired of surgery. I was just I just wanted to move forward. And so I made the decision for the doctors to amputate my right leg above the knee. And on the 24th of May, um, that operation, in fact, happened. Uh, I got some more great news when I came out of a surgery. They had discovered, um, they re-x-rayed my right arm and elbow before I went in for that surgery and realized that my upper right arm and elbow were broken and would require surgery to, to, re- to repair it. So I'd been in the hospital for a little more than two weeks before they realized that my arm and elbow were broken. <laughs> Um, uh, unfortunately, as a result of that surgery, um, um, uh, I sustained a radio nerve damage, which at the time prevented me from, uh, bending or picking up my right wrist on my right hand. Mm-hmm. And, uh, one of the phenomena that, uh, blast injuries often experience is that our body is sort of out of control when it's healing and it's, and where there's breaks and missing bones, it's producing excess calcium. And, and that fact happened in my arm and it caused my right arm to lock up. So I couldn't bend, um, um, I couldn't bend my right arm. I, uh, I couldn't pick up my right wrist. So I was functioning down to one limb. My non-dominant left arm and hand was all I could use. Um, before I was wounded, uh, I was 210 pounds. I was now down to about 148 pounds um, with not, uh, uh, not much of an outlook on life. And, and um, if you can imagine, so to speak, that's when I, I kind of emotionally and spiritually, um, mentally hit rock bottom and uh, felt like, I mean, I wanted to quit. I didn't want to I didn't want to be a burden on any on my family or anyone, and I really, you know, in my mind, uh, quit um, um, for nearly two days. Uh, um, I was just kind of balled up into a corner, um, not you know, not participating in life, and and you know, and, and, but in all that sorrow and all that pity, um, I would ultimately realize that that wasn't who I was. I, I, you know, in spite of how bad things were, um, uh, I was not a quitter. And, and in my lowest moment, I couldn't quit. And so um, um, <laughs> with a few uh, choice words, I, I just said, all right, well, if I can't quit, then I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to live my life. Um, I'm not going to worry about uh, anything else, but just being, um, being present, you know, being the best I can and, and, and let the chips fall where they may. Where do you think you found that inspiration? Well, um, is it inspiration? Is it, uh, is it just uh, upbringing? I think it's a combination of, of uh, a lot of things. Um, you know, I start with my parents um, who grew up in the Jim Crow South. Um, you know, who grew up in a time uh, where, uh, you know, I can't imagine how, how tough things were. 
And, you know, me being their first son, you know, I just, you know, that's, those are sort of the things that they instilled in me, um, you know, to, to Howard University um, alumni, alumnus and graduates. Um, uh, they just would never let me quit, you know, as an athlete, uh, an undersized athlete, you know, I could never quit uh, going through the academy. I could never quit. And so, um, you know, and so, you know, one of the things that I like to kind of impart to the audience is, is, you know, every day, you know, we live our lives and, and, you know, I'm just blessed, you know, uh, not necessarily all the time by my circumstances, but just by a life that never let me quit. Uh, and so that became my character. And so even in my lowest moment, um, that was my character. And that's all I, 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 I always knew was how to fight and, and I just continue to fight. How do you teach that to uh, the people, um, you know, whether you're a business leader, uh, an entrepreneur as you are now, or um, uh, as a leader in the military, how do you pass that on to the people that are working for you or serving under you? Right. Well, to me, um, at first, I think it starts with uh, many times, you know, I talk about pride. Um, and to me, pride uh, converts into really accountability and self-accountability, you know, and that accountability is about living up to being the best I can be. And, and, and so that's where I want to be. I want to be the best I can be, but that's also tied to uh, self-awareness and that self-awareness is being present. Um, many of us live our lives encumbered by things that we're dragging in the past and all they do is encumber us. And many of us live our lives uh, living for the next day, looking over the horizon. Well, going through this experience, you know, not just this experience, but being an athlete, you know, lined up, you can only play the play you're in. That's what our coach used to say. And, and when I didn't have a tomorrow that I can imagine, um, my legs were gone. So there was no need in me looking back. All I could do was be present, but that being understanding and having the awareness of being present and just staying in a present moment allowed me to, to be my best. So, you know, talking about being in the moment and, and inspiring others, you know, you're talking about being in this really low point, but it's just a few months later that you get a call from one of your former teammates um, who's now, who at that point was one of the, the coaches of the Giants. How do you go from that uh, from where you were to where you're inspiring people. And if you, I love the giant story. So can you share that, like the transition and how you got there? Right. So um, uh, my classmate, uh, former teammate, Mike Sullivan had come to visit me in the hospital, like many of my teammates. And, uh, and, you know, when he, uh, this was during the summer and then probably uh, just a couple months after I was wounded and and he said, well, we'll be back in town in September uh, when we play the, uh, the Washington football team. And, 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 and so he said he would contact me when they were coming to town. So ironically, um, that the Giants had started out 0-2 that season, and they were coming to town to play the Washington football team that was 2-0. and And he called me on a Monday and asked me if um, – um, I wanted to go to the game, and, and if so, how many tickets I needed. And I said yes, and I asked before to, to cover my family. 
And then the next day he would call me and, and he asked me, you know, he told me about the, you know, how the giant season was going. And he asked me if I'd be willing to talk with the team and, and, you know, and, and being the president, being the moment, I just said, yeah, I mean, my, he asked me to do, he asked me to do that. Now I had never spoken to a, uh, an organization outside of the, the, the New York giant. I mean, publicly outside of a military formation. I'm not a, I'm not a public speaker. I'm not a, I'm just a, 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 a injured lieutenant colonel now. I mean, I'm not even a commander. Mm-hmm. But uh, again, I was honored that he asked me to do it, and I just thought I would figure out something to say to him. And uh, and so um, ultimately, I would talk, talk to him the night before the game, sharing um, sharing much of what I've uh, shared with you uh, this afternoon. Um, you know, emphasizing accountability, emphasizing. Um, you know, being present and um, and just kind of, you know, just being where you are, because that's all you can ever control. And and um, it, it resonated uh, uh, with them uh, that day. Um, I laugh because um, I remember going to the locker room at halftime and the score was uh, Washington football team 14, the Giants three. And I'm like, boy, that was a heck of a motivational speech. <laughs> But uh, ultimately, the Giants would rally. Uh, they won the game uh, um, uh, 24 to 17. And that was the first of, uh, of 11 road, consecutive 11, uh, consecutive 11 um, road games that they would win, culminating uh, in Super Bowl 42 against the undefeated Patriots. Now, how did that feel building up to that? Did you keep going back to the team? Did you keep uh, speaking with them or just mainly just coming to games? Or how did how was your relationship with the team that season? Well, it was um, it was a it was a slow, slow, slow boil. Um, I remember Mike would Mike would call me and check on me uh, as the season went on. And and and, um, you know, he's, he was saying the guys were always asking about me. And and I was a little bit of a skeptic to be quite honest i just thought they were just being polite and 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 i would not uh rejoin the team until the first playoff game uh the wild card game against uh the buccaneers and and uh in tampa and uh i would fly down for that game and um and i would meet the team at the hotel and i remember uh the team coming into the, uh, the hotel and seeing me and, and, and I knew at that moment um, um, that everything that Mike was saying was true and, and that they had really uh, embraced me. Um, and uh, I, I, immediately, I immediately felt part of the team. Um, I would have to, and so we, we, they, we won the game at Tampa and the next uh, stop was Dallas, but I had to go back in the hospital. Mm-hmm. I had uh, surgery on my right arm and leg, and I, I couldn't go to that game. And I remember uh, I had the surgery, I think, on a Friday. And uh, the next day was a Saturday, and they, the team was already in Dallas. And, and I tried to get a hold of Mike, and, and I, didn't, uh, I, I, didn't, I wasn't able to get him. So I left him this, this drugged uh, voicemail. Um, um, he would listen to it and he, uh, he shared it with coach Coughlin and coach Coughlin would, would share it with the team before the Dallas game. And of course we, uh, the, the giants won. 
And so I'm still in the hospital the following week. And uh, on Wednesday before the NFC championship game, Coach Coughlin called me uh, in the hospital and asked if I uh, would be one of the honorary co-captains with uh, Harry Carson's for the NFC championship game. And I, I immediately said yes to him. And I remember telling my docs, I said, look, you, you let me out of here or not. I'm out of here, you know. And so they would discharge me, I think, the following day, which was Thursday. And on Saturday, I, I flew uh, to uh, Green Bay uh, uh, for what would be the third coldest game in NFL history, 33 below zero. I'm two days out of the hospital. I can't even, I can't even push myself. My son is with me. Um, because they operated on my right arm and right leg. And so, um, so, um, um, so, uh, you know, we would ultimately win in overtime and, uh, you know, two weeks later we're, I'm in the Super Bowl. And that's gotta be an amazing Super Bowl to, to be a part of, you know, the great comeback and, and everything else, just being part of that. And, and um, you know, what do you feel like that that meant to them having having you there for you know a lot of that that playoff run? Well, um, it was uh, it was uh, it was pretty special. It was pretty emotional. Um, as much as I kind of hate to admit it, I also realized that um, I probably played a an emotional role, a comforting role. Um, you know, I like to, I almost felt like I was almost like clergy um, <laughs> uh, on the team because I, I could, I could listen to the coaches as well as the players and, and really just be able to kind of synthesize where everybody was at without uh, compromising anyone or, you know, you know, you know, maybe in part a pearl of wisdom to someone or a perspective that maybe everybody was kind of missing. And so I, I, I did have a, I did have a role and, and um, as small as it was, um, um, I, I, I was part of the team. Now, if that's not cool enough, you know, a few years later, you end up getting to be a part of a huge action movie, uh, Battleship, with a ton of Hollywood stars in there, you know, Liam Neeson, Rihanna and Brooklyn Decker and all these others. Uh, what was that? How did you get that part, first of all? And what was that experience like? Well, um, again, uh, in the in the vein of uh, being present and, and, you know, not being afraid to take on uh, anything. Um, I was I was fortunate that uh, Peter Berg, the director of the movie, was a New York Giants fan. You may recall me wearing a New Giants New York Giants hat in the movie. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, uh, Peter's father was is a former was a former Marine, and um, and and his patriotism is that's why he asked me to be in a movie. You know, I I, I, I kid you not. Um, I never played a tree in a school play, much less acted before, <laughs> and um, and but I, again, I was uh, I was willing to try. And, um, well, you do look like the toughest man on earth in that <laughs> in that uh, movie. I will definitely give you that. That's like I, if I was one of those aliens, I would have taken off too. Well, well I I <laughs> um, I appreciate that, Brian. You know, I, I I kid, but you know, with a face like this, you know, my my mother used to hang a pork chop around my neck so the dog would play <laughs> with me. So, <laughs> uh, so what was what was the most fun part or most demanding part of being in that movie? 
You know, it, uh, acting is transforming yourself. Uh, I Everybody, uh, I guess, outwardly feels like I'm just playing myself or I'm just, uh, but I had to convert myself to another person. I had to, I had to in, embrace that there was this character uh, that I had to become. And, and for someone who's never acted before, in fact, conversely, as a, as a military officer, as a, as a tough guy athlete, I've been programmed my entire life to control my emotions and to manage them and never let, you know, play with my cards, you know, close with me. And acting is the polar opposite of it. It is, you know, wear your emotions on your sleeves. And, um, and, and so that was quite a transformation for me to be able to, to not only access those emotions, but to be willing to share them. And, and that was, uh, you know, of course, that was built over time. You know, I did have an acting coach that kind of, uh, kind of helped me understand and appreciate where my character needed to be. And, um, and really just the trust and the teamwork again, um, I, I, you know, Peter Berg, brilliant man. Um, I, I really felt like he was a coach more than a director. And, um, and, you know, you could argue that they're kind of the same. We just call them different things, but, but I was, I was a part of a team, you know, the whole set team from the grips and the lights and the camera. I was just, uh, my role was, uh, you know, an actor and, and, um, I, I, it, it reminded me, um, you know, it really reminded me like a military, uh, uh, operation. So I had comfort in, the in the familiarity of, of teamwork um, and, and roles and missions, although it was uh, something that was completely foreign that I'd never done before. Who was the most fun out of all the actors you, you were on set with? Who was the most fun person uh, or person you remember the most? Well, uh, you know, Brooklyn is who I, oh, I, I'd have to say Brooklyn. You know, we, we uh, fortunately are able to kind of stay in touch and have you know, I've watched her family grow over the few, uh, over the years. I mean, our trailer was connected, and we just uh, you know I, I spent uh, most of my my time for with her and um, you know the other actors and actresses. I I didn't have um, I didn't have a whole lot of time with. You know, Hamish was fun, um, but uh, you know uh, a dear Peter. Peter Berg is just still a dear friend. I, um, you know, I, I still uh, communicate with him uh, frequently as well. So uh, to kind of finish up, you know, our time together here, you know, you've been through so much and just thinking about that time where you spent those two days that you weren't, you didn't know what was going to happen next and you didn't know if you wanted to be part of it to where you are now. Um, you know, what advice would you give people, you know, we've just come through COVID or still coming through it. Um, what advice would you give to people who find themselves physically, emotionally, mentally in a really dark place? Well, um, um, I, I would say this, Brian, um, you know, the, this pandemic has, has, is in some cases re-reminded or, or that, you know, what we're control of life. Um, none of us has any control over this pandemic, um, but we do have control of ourselves. And, and, and in, in, in learning to be my best and learn to be present, what I've really, uh, what you really have to do is understand and appreciate what you have control over 
and what you don't and, and applying your energy to what you can control and not giving it away to what you can't. Um, and, you know, obviously this pandemic is, uh, it's been very disruptive and it, it's changed the lives of, of all of us in some way, shape or form. Um, but, you know, in life, um, life is it also, but it really also reminds us that life is in constant change. For many of us, uh, we don't see it because it's so uh, negligible, but it is, it is in constant change. You know, I it was a it was a reminder of me from you know being wounded in combat to to just um, you know being deployed. You know, I I, I kid about uh, you know all this social distance and stuff and not being able to go anywhere. I was like, well, that kind of reminds me of that one year in Afghanistan, and so. I, I, I've been blessed with so many uh, experiences in life that have, have allowed me to, to, to really appreciate and put things in perspective and, um, and again, appreciate uh, where I need to put my energy, where I need to focus my energy, and, and where I don't. Thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking podcast. To learn more about today's guest, go to beyondspeak.com. Make sure to leave a review and subscribe wherever you listen. 